Well, thanks for all that great singing. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. We've been in Mark for, I guess this is our fourth week, and uh, if I can do the math, there are, I think there's 16 chapters, so we've, we'll be here for another few months. So, let's open to the Gospel of Mark. We eventually are going to look at a, at a long paragraph in chapter 4, but before we get there, let's do what we usually do. Let's do a quick review to remind ourselves of some of what we've talked about to get to this point. So turn to Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus invites his first disciples to come and follow him. Let's just think about this. Mark chapter 1, we have the story of, well, there's two sets of brothers. They're fishermen. We have the story of John and his brother James. And then we have the story about Peter and his brother Andrew. So that's four. And then... You don't need to turn there, but if you turn the page to Mark chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus invites a fifth disciple. He invites Levi, sometimes he's known as Matthew, to come and be his disciple. So here within the first chapter and a half, we have five of the twelve disciples. Think about this. Remember, five of the twelve disciples are from the same town. They're from that little town up there on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. These five guys are all from the same place. They all grew up together in Capernaum. They celebrated Passover together. They went to the same synagogue. And like all good young Jewish boys, they're waiting to be trained by a rabbi. And so one day when Jesus shows up there in Capernaum, and he says to these five guys, one at a time, come and follow me. All five dropped everything they were doing, and they began following Jesus. So, I would encourage you, like I've done in my Bible, next to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, go ahead and write down, because we gave chapter 1 this title, come, follow me. If you write that in your Bible, you'll remember what we talked about when we were in chapter 1. Okay, turn the page, let's go to Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed. In verse 3, the man's friends bring him to Jesus for healing. In chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus forgave the man of his sins. And then in verse 11, Jesus said to him, stand up and walk. Jesus asked, I remember when we talked about this two weeks ago, Jesus asked the paralyzed man to stand up and walk. I can remember when we talked about this. I want you to remember this. Jesus asked the man to stand up and walk. There was no confusion in Jesus' mind as to whether or not the man was healed. Jesus knew he was healed. He didn't have to ask the man to stand up because he was wondering, I wonder if this really worked. No, he knew he had been healed. He's standing there in Capernaum and he asked the man to stand up and work because he wanted everybody in Capernaum to see that when Jesus changes us on the inside, it makes a difference how we live and act on the outside. It's this, you know, we talked about this a week or two ago, this, this, uh, this regeneration or this transformation. It's this, 
It's this inside out that proves that salvation has taken place. It's this inside out change in a person's life that proves that salvation has taken place. The only tangible evidence we ever have that salvation has taken place is a changed life. Now, we named chapter 2, the outside always reflects the inside. So I would encourage you in Mark chapter 2, right next to verse 1 or someplace there above on the top of the page or next to verse 1, write that. The outside always reflects the inside. Turn the page and go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees about what is legal or not legal, what is permissible or not permissible on the Sabbath. He has this conversation over and over and over again with Pharisees, and they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Now, I hope we understand that God gave us the Sabbath as a day for rest and worship. It's supposed to be a day when we cause, pause from the busyness of our lives and we reflect on God and His goodness to us. But the Pharisees don't get it. They took that and changed the Sabbath into a day of rule-keeping. In their world, there were things you could do and things you couldn't do. You can do this, this, and this. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. But you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do that. The Pharisees did everything they could just to suck the life out of the Sabbath. They had people so confused about what they could do and what they couldn't do that there was no time to pause from the busyness of the week and just reflect on God and his goodness. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to understand, and I'm convinced he wants you and I to understand the same thing, that it's more important for us to do good things on the Sabbath than for us to worry about the man-made rules of what we can do and can't do on the Sabbath. So on this one particular Sabbath in Capernaum, when Jesus meets a man, let me say this again, on this one particular day, it was a Sabbath. When Jesus meets a man with a crippled hand, he heals the man. Jesus understood it's more important to do good things on the Sabbath than to worry about the Pharisees and their man-made rules. Jesus healed the man because he was not at all concerned about what day of the week it is. The Pharisees, you remember who they are. They're this, this group that, uh, well, they live by all these rules and regulations under normal situations. They were, they were very careful not to have anything to do with the Gentiles or to even remotely associate with anybody they considered to be unclean. Jesus does not want you and I to be Pharisees. He does not want us to ignore people who the world considers to be unclean. He wants us to develop friendships and relationships with people who need Jesus. How else is the gospel going to get into their life if we ignore them? So we named chapter 3, and I would encourage you to write this next to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3 is about having a heart for people who need Jesus. Okay, turn the page. Now we're on chapter 4. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and that's going to be the, the primary passage for our study this morning. But I want you to either follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to show the first nine verses on the screen, one or two verses at a time. 
Just follow along as I read this. Remember, this is God's holy word, the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Verse 1 says this, again, he began to teach beside the sea. This is getting, by the way, and yes, I'll stop from time to time. When it says again, it means he's again by the Sea of Galilee. This is the fourth time, specifically the fourth time in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is conducting ministry near the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 1, it was near the Sea of Galilee when he met Peter and Andrew and James and John. Chapter 2, he was near the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 3, he was in the, near the Sea of Galilee. So it says, Mark tells us, again, he began to teach beside the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. Underline the word path. Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground. Underline those words, rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. Underline the word thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed, verse 8, and other seed fell into good soil. Underline those words, good soil. Other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It was on Sunday morning, August 31st, 1997, when a woman in our church stood up to offer a prayer request, just very similar to the way we do here at Cross Point. And on that particular moment, on that particular Sunday, August 31st, 1997, I can remember this happening like it was yesterday. This person, it was a woman, it could have just well been a guy, but it was a woman in this situation. She asked for prayer for Princess Diana's family, who is now grieving her death from a car accident the previous Saturday night. Remember that? I remember she was standing like right here, almost in the front row. It was wonderful for her to ask for prayer for Princess Diana's family because they were grieving her tragic death of this car accident. And then she said this, but we can be thankful that she's now in a better place. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Immediately, I realized that this woman was confused in her theology about who is it that goes to heaven. Because I had, I would say I had, like most people, followed that romance and that big fancy wedding of Diana and Charles. I had Watch that from a distance. Sharon, I'm sure, was much more in tune with what was happening in that relationship than I am. But over those previous months, I had paid a little bit of attention to that. And I can tell you never one time, not even one time. 
And in the last 20, 20 years since that happened, I can tell you there has still never been a single time, not even once, when I ever heard anyone say anything about Diana having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Never. I have never heard that. And yet here's this woman in our church making this, this big statement that we can be thankful she's in a better place. And I'm thinking in my mind, are you kidding me? I have no reason at all, none, yet to this moment, I have no reason to believe that Diana's in a better place. This morning in our passage from Mark chapter 4, we will be reminded once again that everyone does not go to heaven. And it doesn't matter if you're the princess of Wales or you live in a cardboard house under a bridge. The Bible is clear. It is crystal clear. The only people who go to heaven are those men and women, boys and girls, who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, think this with me. If there's a way for people to get to heaven without having faith in Jesus Christ, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. I know there are many people who believe that everyone who dies goes to heaven, but it's just not true. Where we spend eternity has, has nothing to do with what you and I think. It only has to do with what the Bible says. You and I can think a thousand different things, but it's the Bible where we base our truth. Here at Cross Point, let's be clear about this, we do not base our theology on the Argus leader. We do not base our theology on what I watch on KSFY News. I don't base my theology on Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, or CNN. Our theology here is based on the Bible and only on the Bible. The Bible alone is our source of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, you can turn in your Bible, or I think we have this on the screen, says this. This is written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy who has just accepted responsibility of the church in Ephesus. And Paul says to Timothy, do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This parable that we're looking at in the first nine verses of Mark 4 is about the it's about the soil and the seeds. This parable is about the truth. And I can't make this any more clear than what it's going to be. This is the truth that everyone is not going to heaven. J.I. Packer, an evangelical theologian from Canada, says this in his commentary on Mark chapter 4. He says this, Of all the parables spoken by our Lord, probably none is so well known as this. So long as there is a church of Christ and a congregation of Christians, so long there will be a use for this parable. Now, one of the things that sets, we talked about this a week or two or three or four weeks ago, one of the things that sets Mark's gospel apart from the other three gospels is that Mark primarily focuses on what Jesus does, not on what he says. It's an action gospel. In fact, most people believe that the key word in the gospel of Mark is the 
the word immediately. And so it's one thing for me to tell you or suggest to you these words to underline, but as you read through the gospel on your own, I would encourage you every time you see the word immediately to underline it or draw a box around it. Because depending on which translation you're using when you read, that word will show up between 12 and 20 times. It, it's, in, it's just over and over again. We go from one thing to the next. Mark's gospel focuses on things Jesus does, not on things he says. Uh, it does not include long paragraphs of sermons, is how you and I would refer to it. So this particular paragraph in Mark chapter 4 is unique. Because this is one of the few exceptions in Mark's gospel where the focus is on what Jesus is saying, not on what he's doing. So in, in this particular gospel, and I would guess most of us who have been hanging around church for a few years or whether we just showed up, you may have never heard of this parable, but most of us are familiar with this. In this particular parable, Jesus tells us that there are four kinds of soil. The path, rocky soil, then there's the soil with thorns, and then there's the good soil. Every type of soil represents people. Every type of soil represents a different group of people based on how these people respond to the gospel. Now farming in the first century Israel at the time of Jesus, it was much different than the way we farm in South Dakota in 2019. Can't you even imagine? Um, we now have machines. I was talking to somebody just a week ago. And I was so blown, blown out of the water with what they were telling me, I might have got the number wrong. But they were telling me that they now have a machine that plants corn that's 48 rows wide. 48 rows Farmer goes through the field, every time he goes through, he's planting 48 rows of corn. And I'm not even sure if that's the big enough number. It could actually be bigger than that. I, I couldn't even comprehend it. But farmers in Israel, the way they usually planted their crops, which were grain crops, they had a, a cloth bag over their shoulder. I think there's a picture up here showing that. And then the, the farmer would just, you can picture this, right? He would just reach in to that bag of seeds, he'd get a hand of, handful of seeds, and then as he walked through his land, he would scatter these seeds, sort of throw them in a circular motion as he walked, and well, you know what happened. So, well, as he's doing this, I mean, it's not precise like a drill that we would have today that goes within a quarter of an inch of where you're going to plant those seeds, but it's, he scatters it. And as he scatters, well, some, some seeds fall on the path, and some seeds fall among the rocks, and some seeds get... I mean, he can't help it. He's just got a handful of seeds and he's trying to do the best he can. And some goes in with the thorns and, and, you know, boy, praise God. Thank you, God. Some actually falls on the good soil. Now, in the time we have, I want us to see if we can identify the different kinds of people based on the different kinds of soil. Okay, are you with me? If you have your paper or notebook out, let's walk our way through this. The first type of soil Jesus talks about is the path in verse 4. Well, we all know what the path is. The, the path is where people walk. The, the ground on the path is harder, right? The, grass, the 
The path is harder than the ground on either side of the path because nobody's walking over here. But you and I walk on the same path day after day after day, it gets hard. The more we walk on the path, the harder it becomes. It becomes packed down. There's no way, my friends, and you know this, there's no, there's no way that any of the seed that falls on the path is ever going to penetrate that ground and develop roots. It's not going to happen because it takes too long to penetrate that hard path. And while the seeds are laying there on the path, the birds are going to come and eat the seeds and fly away and you're done. But the path represents people. The path represents people who hear the gospel but they don't pay any attention. Their heart is hard, just like a path. If they go to church at all, and, and they may in some situations, they probably go because, well, the reason they go, they want to look good in the eyes of some other people. They take, they take no interest whatsoever in anything that's ever said. To these people, the message of God's word seems to be nothing more than just a bunch of empty words, nothing which makes any sense. Even while they're in church, they're really not here. Even while they're here in the building, their mind is off, what do they want to do this afternoon? Or what do they need to do next week? They're not even paying attention to what the pastor is preaching. And when church is over, well, they go home, their life hasn't changed at all. They forget everything that was said, everything that was talked about. By the time they get in their car, they're ready for the next adventure in life. They, they have no interest at all in spiritual things, and they pay no attention. Now, most of us know people. We really do. We know people who Jesus would describe as having a heart that resembles the hardness of the soil of a path. There are millions of people who claim to be Christians who are not Christians. Sunday after Sunday, they allow the devil to come and snatch the Word of God away from them. And unless these people repent and put their faith in Jesus, they have no chance of ever going to heaven. None. Everyone is not going to heaven. Let's look at the second kind of soil. It's found in verse 5. It's called the rocky soil. Nothing grows on rocks. Right? Nothing grows on rocks. At least not for the long term. Sometimes when the rain and wind comes and it, and it blows some dirt or dust on top of a rock, that's the situation now that Jesus is talking about. It's important for farmers, and some of you maybe farm yet, or you grew up on a farm, you know how important it is to get the rocks out of the field. No matter how hard-working the farmer is, it's almost impossible to get all the rocks out of every field. But once in a while, there's some seeds that end up scattered on top of a rock that's covered with shallow soil. And it begins to sprout. In fact, sometimes, sometimes, and it actually happens, if you have a rock where there's soil that gets blown up on top, you know, the wind blows it on top, sometimes if a seed ends up in that soil, it sprouts quicker than the seeds that are in the ground because you've got the sun that's warming the rock and it's just perfect temperatures. And so for a moment, it looks like there's going to be some chance that that little plant is going to grow. However, they die right away because there's no root system. They can't get any nourishment. They can't get any moisture. Rocky soil, 
represents people who... I've known people like this. Rocky soil represents people who... They seem to have moments, even brief moments. They might be in church or they might never come to church. They might be in your Bible study. There seems to be a moment where as we talk about the gospel, it's like, it's like the light is kind of, it, it's not really bright that it's coming on, but it's starting to glow. It, it looks like this guy or this woman, they're, they're getting it, but there's never any change in their life. Their life gives no evidence whatsoever of a personal relationship with Christ. What happens is what we read about in Mark 4.17 where it says, And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They may even enjoy what they hear for the moment. They may, get, they, they may actually, some of these people, they may actually begin to think that they're on their way to heaven. But they're not. They're completely deceived. There's, since there's no lasting evidence of any spiritual transformation whatsoever, it's just a momentary sort of a flash in the pan. Instead, these people are still on their way to hell. Let's look at the soil number three. Jesus talks about it in verse seven. It's the soil with thorns. There are people who come to church, whether it's Cross Point or some church across the street or down the road. There's people who come to church. Some people who fall into this category even attend church on a regular basis. And in some situations, it may even look like the seeds in the thorny soil are beginning to grow. But then, the things of the world begin to choke the life out of the seeds. If you've ever had a garden, if you ever had a garden, I don't care if, let's raise your hand. Have you ever tried planting a garden? Okay, you can, we're recording this, so you can take it from me. We are never having a garden again. Okay, we've been there, we tried that. I couldn't get Sharon to help. No, that wasn't it at all. We were out there, we tried, 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 nothing. You know, I am not a gardener. I do my gardening over here at High V in the produce section. So, But if you've ever had a garden, you know what the number rule is when it comes to removing weeds. You've got to get rid of the roots. If you're going to pull the weeds, you've got to pull it by the root. Now, we've got five grandkids, and we've got one little granddaughter that loves, she calls them sunflowers, those little yellow flowers that, you know, they get up about this high, and then they turn white all of a sudden. She thinks those are cute. And so it's easy when you're that age to go over and pick off those little yellow, what she calls sunflowers, you and I call dandelions. Have you ever tried, you guys and you ladies, you've all tried this. You go out in your front yard, you're going to, no, there's the dandelion. So you go out and you're going to pull it, and it breaks off. You have done nothing because the root is still there. The number one rule for removing weeds is you've got to pull it out by the root, whether it's a dandelion or a thistle. Thistles are a little more difficult. You've got to get underneath those bottom of those leaves and pinch that tight and just pull, and you'd be surprised how long some of those roots are. But if we don't get rid of the roots, we are not going to get rid of the weeds. If you don't get rid of the root, you're just going to have the weeds come back again and again and again, and they're going to take over the good plants. 
Jesus is saying this, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot live for yourself and pretend that you're living for me at the same time. People represented by thorny soil are those who hear the word and recognize that there are changes they need to make in their life. Yes, I know, God, I know I need to get rid of that sin and that sin and that sin, and I know I need to be more more persistent in my reading the Bible and my prayer life. I know there's things to do, but people who are surrounded with all these thorns are so involved with the world, and I might say they're so in love with the world, that they refuse to make the needed changes in order to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. People described by Jesus as living in and among the weeds or the thorns, They are so close, my friends. I want you to understand this parable. They are so close to making a true commitment to Jesus. But the love of the world keeps pulling them back into the weeds. And they never make that transition. And because of their love for the world, they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, here's our last one. Give me a couple more minutes. Jesus talks about this last kind of soil in verse 8. It's called the good soil. Jesus reminds us that there are some people who hear the gospel and apply what they hear to their life. They make the needed and necessary changes they do. They make the needed changes to the things they do. They stop doing the things they're not supposed to do. They start going to the places they're supposed to go to, and they quit going to the places they're not supposed to go to. They, they clean up their language. They stop saying the things they used to say, and now they're saying things that they should be saying. They, these people are allowing the Holy Spirit to make those changes in their life from the inside out. These are the people who truly believe the message, the message of the gospel. And not only do they believe it, they've begun to apply these things to their life. They're willing to make the difficult choices in their everyday life by eliminating sin and adding spiritual disciplines. And just like the man back in Mark chapter 2, the paralyzed guy, the outside of their life will clearly reflect the fact that Jesus has now changed them on the inside. Their life will will represent and will reflect visible repentance, visible faith in Christ, and a visible sense of holiness in their daily life. They will begin to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, some 60, some some 30, some 60, some 100. And when their life is over, when they take that last breath, they will spend all of eternity in heaven with their Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. Not because of what they've done. It's never anything about what they've done, but because of their faith in Jesus and what he did for them. So let me end with this. I want you to take a minute. I want you to quickly look around the room. Don't stare at anybody. Please don't stare at me. Just do a quick, everybody look at everybody in the room just, and then find one person without staring at them and then turn back and look at me. Okay? Everybody look around. Find one person. You don't even know these people. Okay, that's enough. No more looking. 
Look back at me. Now, I want to ask you a question. What kind of soil do you think that person is? Don't answer out loud. Are they the path, the rocky, thorny, or good? Now, forget all that. Okay, whatever you're thinking, forget all that. The question now is not what kind of soil are they. The question is, what kind of soil are you? Are you hard-hearted to the point where you want little or nothing to do with the gospel? Or are you more like the rocky soil where you may not disagree with everything the Bible says, but you don't want God to change your life? You like your life just the way it is. Or are you more like the thorny soil? Maybe you have sin in your life that you actually enjoy. And you're not willing to stop. Or are you like the good soil? Are you bearing good fruit by sharing with others what Jesus has done in your life? In the parable of the four soils, only the good soil represents people who are going to end up in heaven. The first three groups all end up in hell. So in your Bibles, I would encourage you to do this. Next to Mark chapter 4, verse 1, I would ask you to write this down. Everyone is not going to heaven. That's our code phrase for chapter 4. Your assignment, if you wish to accept it for next week, sort of like Mission Impossible, we'd like, I would encourage you to read ahead once or twice and read chapter 5 in the Gospel of Mark. If you want extra credit, read it two times, once each in a different translation. Okay? Allow God's Word to speak. So we're going to ask the ushers to come and take this morning's offering. Remember, the offering is a form of our worship as we give back to God a portion of what He's given to us. And Let me just close with a word of prayer, and if it's okay with you guys, I'll pray for the offering, Jim and Denny. So Lord, we thank you for the way you have continued to provide for us. We thank you for this offering that we're about to take. We ask, Lord, that you would bless each gift and each giver. Help us, help the deacons here at at Cross Point to be good stewards of all that you entrust into their care. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.